Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I'm Tara and this is Joe. Hey everyone. We are the fanalists and we are here to open our hearts and spill our guts and talk about everything we love about the Portland Trailblazers and the NBA. And today we have a special guest who is going to help us talk about the playoffs. He is currently the host of Locked On Trailblazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. He is also a writer for the Associated Press and Blazers Edge, and the former Blazers beat reporter for the Vancouver Columbian. Eric Garcia Gunderson, welcome to the Fanalists. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be on. I hope people can hear my clapping in the background. (laughs) I think they can. We're excited to have you as well, Eric. Yeah, we're so, not kidding about opening our hearts and spilling our guts, and sometimes people cry. So maybe we should have told you that beforehand. Who cries? <laughs> I don't know. I was just trying to make it sound exciting and basketball is on the edge of their seat. Exactly. Our fans. Our fans. Well, we're super excited to have you here, Eric. Um, and definitely, we like to get to know a little bit more about our guests before we launch into. We have tons of great questions to ask you, and we're going to talk all about the playoffs. And I want to talk about Russell Westbrook. So we'll get into that. But first, let us and our listeners get to know a little bit about you. Tell us about yourself and what's your connection with the Trailblazers? Did you grow up as a fan? Did you grow up in Oregon? Kind of lead us to how you got to where you are today. So, uh, yes, I grew up uh, a Blazer fan. I grew up in Salem, Oregon. I was born in Portland, but uh, I, I lived most of my childhood in Salem, went to high school there, went to all school there before I, and then I went to Oregon. So I've been in, you know, in Oregon for most of my life and the Blazers are, have always been there. So it's like, I, you know, watch them. I remember when I was, I think in like fourth or fifth grade, I can't remember which, like, I remember just crying when we, when the Blazers blew that lead to the Lakers when I was a little kid. So it's like, so I, yeah, so I, I definitely have that connection to the team, like very emotional. And then like, so, and then I remember my friends and I, we had uh quarter season tickets when we were in college at U of O, we would drive up for games during the, the Brandon Roy uh, era. So, yeah, and then uh, after college, uh, I I majored in journalism at U of O, and uh, I did some writing in school at the time, and then uh, ended up getting an internship with the Blazers uh, to be like the, to be their sports reporter uh, uh, intern. I uh, worked with Casey Holdall over there and uh, did a lot of content for them, uh, and then. Uh, Candace Buckner, who was the beat writer for the Columbian at the time. She's at the Washington Post now uh, covering the Wizards. And she left that job uh, the at the Columbian. And then I interviewed for it and got it. And so I covered the team for a long time. So that's kind of been my my relationship to the Blazers. And now uh, I, I'm no longer with the Columbian, but I still write for the Associated Press sometimes and uh, contribute to Blazers Edge some and, and, and host Lockdown Blazers. So I still keep that connection to the team uh just in a different way so i guess that's a little background on my connection to the blazers awesome i I have a i have a quick question so when you started off were you always like a sports fanatic who wanted to uh you know who who wanted to get into sports and decided to choose journalism or were did you always want to be a writer and sports just seemed like a good fit for you 
I think it was the former. I, I I think I was I was really really into sports in general, and like I was kind of a. I would listen to sports radio like before I go to bed, uh, you know things like that, and like and and. Yeah, I was really into sports. I watched tons of ESPN back in the day, so it kind of was like that. And then I was, and then I learned how to write. And uh, I will just, you know, shout out to my dad who uh, always like, you know, whenever I would write p- papers for school, he would edit them super hard to <laughs> kind of get me to get stuff. So uh, I think he he kind of helped me with the writing part of it. Is your family uh, uh, also all into the Trailblazers and basketball? They're definitely into sports. We're, we're a very passionate sports family. Uh, my mom is Venezuelan, and so we get kind of we, we. My mom really loves baseball, really loves soccer, uh, and and my dad. My dad's from Portland, so he grew up uh, here. Grew up with a connection to the Blazers and uh, stuff like that. So that all those things kind of blended together. Um, and then, yeah, so our, our family definitely, like, you know, gets up for, for sporting events and stuff like that. Like, the World Cup is, like, a holiday in our family. Oh, I bet that's a fun holiday. <laughs> that's, that's a, I mean, people are intense about the World Cup. They're so serious. So next time Tara and I, shall, we'll have to come over and see what I, it's like. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You guys, and, 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 and I'll also, like, credit to my mom as well. I think my mom is, like, the... She brings the sports like passion for me. Like she gets very into she she gets very into it. She's got takes, uh, and so <laughs> it, it, it 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 like the mix of those two things just kind of created the sports fanatic in me, I guess. Joe, so we're gonna you... have to have Eric's mom come to women's hops and talks. She sounds like she would have a really good time, and we'll talk about more of that at the end of the podcast because we got another event coming up, and she sounds like she'd be an awesome addition yeah, to the women's hops sure. and talks crew. <laughs> so I have one last question uh, coming into like for about your. Sorry, I can't speak. To lead back into your background, is it crazy being a super fan of? a team that you actually get to work for? Because, you know, a lot of journalists become journalists and then say Boston Celtics have an opening and they interview and or apply and interview and get the job and they get to cover the Boston Celtics, but they're really Portland Trailblazers fans. You actually get to cover the team that you grew up loving, knowing and loving. What is that like? It's interesting because you get into the position of you watch the team you really you know you want them to succeed when you're watching them just as and and uh i will say when you're a journalist it also helps when they succeed because the players are just happier they want to talk they're more willing to do things so that's kind of almost stays the same to an extent uh but then it also gets kind of dicey when you're doing like when like when I was doing more reporting on the team, you can get into some dicey areas because you're saying things that the team doesn't necessarily want you to be saying. And so, you know, because uh, and so yeah. like it, it can kind of get a little adversarial at times, uh, which is kind of an interesting wrinkle to it that is different. And so that is kind of a weird spot where it's like it is awesome because you get to watch the team that you always grew up watching and it's fun and the games are fun and all that stuff. And that, you know, the games, the games were always the best part. Like that, that's always the best part, but then it can kind of get a little interesting and a little 
murkier when like you're reporting on an injury that the team maybe was gonna release later or something like that. So it's like or or or, or a, you know uh, a free agent thing or 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 things like that. So uh, it can get a little uncomfortable that in it does where oh, it doesn't it doesn't get that way as just a fan watching the game when you know when you're reporting a story that you know they want to tell in their own way right my anxiety or, would be through the roof i would be like please don't be mad at me terry Stutz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that, that I, and, and yeah even and even another thing too is like uh, another hard part is like Coach, especially in the playoffs, is like criticizing or scrutinizing coaching decisions because then you have to answer to that with the coach. And I remember a couple of years ago, I was like, Myers Leonard should be playing in the Memphis series. And I remember I asked a question to Terry Stotts, and Stotts was like, I'm glad that you asked that question, Eric. Like, <gasps> well, like, I don't, and so it's stuff like that. So it's like it kind of can get uh, a little uncomfortable when you're just doing you know, observations because it's just, it, it, there's a, you have to kind of, you, you have relationships at that point. Yeah. Wow. That is so crazy. Well, uh, let's move into talking about the upcoming playoffs and to kind of lead into that. We, Tara and I have been discussing lately over the last few days, the difference between the regular season and the playoffs. And we've really been chatting about it from a fan standpoint, from the standpoint of someone who covers the team, what sort of differences do you see between the regular season and playoff basketball? I definitely think that uh, game plans and strategy and all of that stuff matters a lot more earlier in the series. And then they matter less as the series goes on uh, because in the 82 game season, it's harder to get, uh, you know, real directed game plans over the because there's just not enough time. Like there's not enough there's not enough uh brain power within the organization. They have to divide and scout a bunch of teams, and so they can really get into the nitty gritty of what the opposing team does. And but then the the interesting part about that is that they can get to that. But then these teams they only have so many options and adjustments that they can go. So everyone's super intense and everyone is scrutinizing everything. But then you get to a point in game three or game four where there are no more surprises. And mm. and it's just player versus player going at it and and just trying to and, – and, and, and so that – it almost becomes more tactical and then – then the tactics become so ingrained that it is no longer about the tactics and it's just about each guy. And so I, I think it, 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 the intensity then also just kind of pressurizes that even more. So I, it, it's, it is different and it, it's, uh, I'm excited for it. Just talking about it just makes me want to, it's just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited for tomorrow now. So I had never thought about it that way about how, um, the, the strategy, you know, comes on the front end because you have time to plan. You have those days 
that you can have for practice. You can get ready for the game. But then, like you said, after a certain amount, after you've you know shown your hand and done just about everything you can, especially also because of the end of season, teams might be shortened up because they have injured players. They only have so many people on the roster. I hadn't really thought about how interesting it would be for those last couple of games. The guys just got to play. I think it's super interesting for us. We saw this last year when we played the team from the Bay Area because they inter- they interjected one of their players at the end of their series with us, and we might p- possibly be doing the same thing to them this year. Ha! Yeah. That. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> no. that yeah. Real hot take. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, today was also, today's. We're we're doing this on Friday, and that was the day that we were supposed to hear more about Nurkic, and we so far haven't really heard any more about whether or not he's playing. So that's, that's kind of where I why I was thinking about it. Okay. Also, Eric, just so you know, you'll have to help me keep track of of how many times Tara slips and says the Golden State Warriors in any form. Okay, she can't. She's she's pledged five dollars for every time she slips up and says it to which organization? Girls Inc. Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And she's done fairly well this whole season. Uh, but I'm thinking yeah. since we're gonna talk about the playoffs, just due to sheer volume, she might slip up. Yeah, Eric, I don't say the name of the team from the Bay Area because once they got Kevin Durant and everybody was talking about them, I decided they didn't need any more power than they already had. So I just decided I'm not going to say their name. And if I slip up five bucks to Girls Inc. Pacific Northwest, I think I'm up to about ninety five dollars right now. But it just got way harder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because every night. (laughs) <laughs> pretty much yeah. for the day <laughs> i have like sometimes i'll call them the gilded staple whackers if i'm like really rolling so or other things that start gsw so that, you've had that's some what i'm talking good about ones. yeah you've, you've golden, had some good ones oh, but man. i think the gilded staple whackers is gilded my favorite of, of all that rolls off my tongue easiest but but anyway <laughs> to get back on track what about um uh eric when you were covering the team um, what what was different for you uh, when you were you know preparing for games and like writing up analysis and game reports and stuff like that? Uh, you know, for people who are on the beat, how do things uh, uh, change when the playoffs start? For me personally, uh, when I was at the Columbian, you know, we uh, you know we were a smaller paper than a lot of the papers that were covering the team. So one of the things I did to kind of prepare for the playoffs that was kind of maybe different from uh, some other people on the beat is that I would really dive in deep to film study and scouting and almost put myself in the mindset of like, what are the Blazers going to do? Like if you had to think of this series and kind of figure out, okay, in what possible scenario could Portland win? So you, you start, <laughs> you start there and you know, so you look at who should be guarding who, uh, what rotations work, uh, you know, are there certain plays that worked, you know, worked well. And y- what I would do before, like, say, before game one, I would go look at games where these two teams played each other. But it, 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 it's it's difficult because in this series, the Blazers haven't played the Warriors in a long time. And mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to compare the team that they were at the end of January to the team that they are now. And I think one of the only ways that you can kind of look at it is like, okay, so what did the Warriors look like when they had all of their guys? What do they do? And is there any way Portland can stop it? And then flip it on the other end. 
what does Golden State do on defense? What can Portland do to take advantage of any weaknesses that they have? What weaknesses do they have? And then kind of start from there. And then I think my favorite part of the playoffs is actually after game one. Is after mm-hmm. game one is then you can start to say what happened? What are the Blazers going to do next game? Or what are the Warriors going to do next game? And how do they, you know, how do they adjust? And I the adjustments and all that stuff is kind of so before the season, the series starts, I kind of look at like ways that they can maybe minimize any disadvantages. And then the second game is, okay, what actually were those disadvantages and how can they go about minimizing those? And to me, a lot of the stuff that I look at in the postseason is on the margins because I think we all know, like, you know, Damon CJ had to have a great series, you know, like that, that's not blowing anybody away. So I, I tried to, when I was on the beat was kind of look into those margins that are not main storylines to see if, if there can be ground that's made up. And, and, and that's kind of how I would, how I had approached it. Well, I know we're definitely going to want to talk to you about some adjustments you think the Blazers need to make and some of the more analytical parts about approaching this uh, first uh, round of the playoffs. But before we move on at the, between the differences between the regular season and the playoffs, I actually really enjoyed a recent episode that you did where you talked about the difference between the regular season and the playoffs and you were of the opinion that the regular season matters and that a lot of people are like, I'm just going to wait for the playoffs. The regular season doesn't matter. And I cannot tell you how much as a fan that that angers me. It makes me so mad when people approach it that way, because it is every single game, every single night that you step onto that court, you are inching closer to the determination of where and how and when you fall in the standings for the playoffs. So to me, it's every game one matters, game 82 matters, game 37 matters, every game matters. And I think a perfect example of that this year was uh, Clippers, Clippers and Jazz series that were, I'm super, actually super excited for that series. I think it's going to be really interesting. But can you elaborate a little bit more on that and like tell us what your thoughts are on it? Because I actually really liked the way that you discussed it. I, I thought uh, one of those moments that I, I think maybe I, I talked about that after the Spurs game where it was all the all the guys, all the guys, that, the closers, you know, as Lamar Hurd calls them uh, out there, all the young guys that don't get a chance to play and, and they get a chance to play against the Spurs and and they have a game and it's like the game a lot of those for a lot of those guys, you know, Shabazz Napier, like game of his life, you know, and uh the regular season, I think, matters also, too, because, yes, every game impacts where you land in the standings. The home court advantage in that Jazz Clippers series is a great example of that, and and, and that and that matters, definitely. But I also do think that, as an NBA fan, in general, if you're approaching the NBA as the playoffs are the only thing that matter, the NBA is going to be ultimately unfulfilling. Like it, it, it's not going to be an enjoyable experience. And I think that one of the things that is great about the NBA, as opposed to some other sports, not maybe, you know, maybe baseball is the same or, or something, but is you can really see guys grow and you can, it, 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 they're almost like characters in a TV show, you know, it's like you see where they start and then they continue to grow 
and they have these moments. And I think like like Noah Vonley, like having that game winning shot after he's had so much trouble here. He's had so many you know up and down moments. He's so young, and then you slowly see it start to click. And like that is what you get in the regular season. That I don't really think. You know, it happens in the playoffs and everyone sees it kind of blow up sometimes, but it doesn't always. And and I think that seeing that growth and having those little moments of growth throughout the regular season are what makes the regular season special, in my opinion. And I I love the playoffs and it's great, but I also do miss like, you know, being able to fire up a game on League Pass and it's like, you know, Charlotte Philadelphia or whatever and it's like (laughs) and it's just these it's just interesting and to me I I like that part about the NBA regular season I understand that not a lot of people do but I just think that it's very defeatist to approach the NBA as the playoffs are the only thing that matters because historically like there haven't been that many teams that won the championship do you feel the same way about the first quarter versus the fourth quarter because I also can't stand it when people will only turn on a game at the fourth quarter because they're like, well, the fourth quarter is the only one that matters. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, what What about what if what if Damien has four fouls in the first quarter? That definitely is going to have an impact on the fourth quarter. Like, it all ties together. It's really irritating to me. So how do you <laughs> feel about that idea? Um. Oh, man. You know, I... I definitely am a proponent of watching the whole game. Uh, I definitely believe in that. And and another example of that would be uh, Damien's 59-point game the other night. That first quarter yeah. that he had, he had 26 in the first quarter. If you didn't see that, you know, it, it's harder to appreciate what he did because he was so spectacular in that quarter. And so uh, I, I will say the fourth quarter, I, I think – I think guys, and it's the playoffs too. I think in both cases, I think guys play harder just because there's a sense of emergency and it's human nature. Like there's just no way you could not play harder. But I enjoy. I I I I think I think both. I think the whole game in general is 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 the best way to consume it to me because then you can really see the ebbs and the flows and 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 the ranges of emotion. Because in the fourth quarter, everything is like, okay, we're here now. And it's going to end one way or another, but it's like, I kind of like the slow progression of, of a full game. When I talk to people who don't like sports, I, I talk to them about the fact, what I love about sports is that there's every, every night is a story. Every game is a story. Every season is a story. There's a clear beginning in the middle and an end. So I like to tune in for the whole thing because I like to see how things develop. And I feel like, you know, coming in at the very end is it's kind of it's kind of like cheating and just like going to the last page and reading <laughs> reading the story so you know some people are fine with that but you know i like to see the whole thing unfold and see how the plot develops because that's the fun stuff you know like we, uh joe and i were actually talking about this at the spurs game because we were talking about how I really like chaos. I love it when everything falls apart and someone somehow miraculously pulls something out. And she really, and Joe, correct me if I'm wrong, but Joe loves a really well-executed play. And she both, likes it when Emil <laughs> brings the ball up. Oh my God. Who That's my favorite thing. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I start like, it, it, oh, it brings I a smile. It brings a smile to my face when Aminu leads the break because it's horrific. It, 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 it's it, horrific. I, I, I love it. I love I, it. I, I kind of love it too. I, I, 
at the Blazers banter event that we had that uh, An and Pandian threw, Tara and I were bonding over Aminu <laughs> forays in the open court, and it's I I I I, I yeah, Aminu it's a, it's a guilty it's a guilty pleasure. I like Aminu. I do. I don't have a problem with it. I have a problem when he brings the ball up. Like, well, and that, Joe, that's because you like a beautifully executed play. You yes. love it when the play starts and it goes exactly according to plan, and then they I finish the way you expect. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, that's like a totally that's that is that is just a different way to the enjoy very, the game. But the man, if I see Aminu get that rebound under the basket and look like he is taking it up all the way, I am standing up, going, "Yeah, baby, yeah, baby, you got this, you got this," and everybody looks at me like I'm crazy, but. <laughs> I'm saying the exact opposite. Yeah. I'm uh, like, give it to Dean. Give it to Dean. I'm not saying like I'm not saying you got this, you got this. I'm more saying like it's 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 kind of like one of those high speed chases in train LA. Wreck? It's like those <laughs> high speed to me I, I I like seeing if he can get away. Like it's like getting away it's like it's like he's it's running away. Can he get away with it? And I I just, I just think it's hilarious. He's like oh the fast gosh. and the furious. Yes. Um Fast, isn't he number eight? <gasps> yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Mind blown. <laughs> the Blazers. All right, Blazers are going to win the series. Okay, we got to get right, back on the track. fate of the, the fate of the fate track. of the Furious. The level of nerding out is too much for me at the moment, so we're going to get back on track. So let's get into the actual discussion of what adjustments you think that the Blazers need to make in order to run with the Warriors. I don't think any of us are in, under any grand illusions that the Blazers are actually going to win this series, but I personally believe they're going to put up quite a big fight. I do not think they'll allow themselves to be swept. So what do you think they need to do to, in order to make that happen? Well, it, it would help if, if Nurkic is there, obviously, and I think we all know that, but I think that they have a chance to to stay with them because they are such an explosive uh group and I and the explosive guys obviously Dame CJ and and I think a guy uh the more I think about it uh two guys actually Alan Crabb I think is going to have to uh really play well on the defensive end but I think they need him out there cuz he's such a great shooter cuz I don't think Portland is going to actually nobody can really slow down Golden State and nobody it's hard to score on Golden State too but if you had to choose one thing that Portland could do it's score and so, Crab getting out there, and then I think you know, can Evan Turner maybe play a little bit of maybe power forward or something like that? Because I, I love Aminu out there, and I think he brings a lot defensively. But one of the things that I talked about uh, that I you know is that in the playoffs, it, I teams will probably ignore Mo. They'll probably ignore Aminu, and you got to make them pay for not paying attention to you. And I think. Turner, as frustrating as he is, he can score that mid-range jumper. Like, he can get to that spot and and do something with the ball that would, you know, you couldn't ignore him. So, I think Crabb getting out there and Turner, who have been bench players for a lot of the season and and haven't really... uh, they haven't really always been out there with the starters and finishing units. And I think that Harkless and Aminu sometimes complement Dame and CJ better. I think in this series, I think you're going to need that offense that those two guys provide. And so I think those are two big adjustments, I think. And then one that I'm not as comfortable about, but I think 
without Nurkic has to happen for Portland to win the game is that Myers Leonard's got to shoot and he cannot hesitate. He's got to shoot, set those screens. He's got to shoot those threes and get some points on the board from that position because they need help to, to keep pace with them because it's going to be a shootout uh, because Golden State's going to put up a ton, a ton of points. From from the perimeter, from everywhere. Yeah, they're just, there's like, there's no way to stop them. They're so elite. You're right. I think it's going to be a really fun um, backcourt battle for sure. Everyone's expecting that. That's like the most obvious thing. And then both teams are just such excellent three-point shooters that that's also going to be really fun to watch. I personally love a really well-executed, a really well-executed defensive game. So that's kind of a bummer to me because this is going to be like one massive offensive, like fireworks show. Um, but the, the warriors have some nice, some nice defense. And I think we gotta, we gotta step it up in that department actually to even have a remote chance of running with them. Um, I like that you brought up the Nurkic thing. One question that a friend of mine posed, which I thought was really interesting was he said, well, say Nurkic is cleared to play would you or would you not play him? Like, would you would you suit him up? Would you let him go? And I think you discussed this recently as well on your podcast, but let's hear your thoughts here as well. If the medical staff clears him, then I feel fine about him playing. But if it's, if it's him going rogue and being like, I'm going to, you know, then I, I'm not as comfortable with it. But I don't, I don't think that that is going to be the process. Uh, I think, I know we are all scarred here. But the medical staff that is in place now is not the same medical staff that was here during the Roy years when Roy made that comeback in the middle of a series. Uh, and I, I think that they will be very, a, a little bit more cautious, and I don't mean that in just like an overly like fearful way. I think if they will just make the right medical decision and – I, I think when Nurkic's comment today was, you know, if it was up to him, he would play. I think that kind of leads us to believe that it's not all the way up to him. And I think that's better because if you let any, and he's 22. So it's like, he's super young. So add that to the fact that he's a professional basketball player. Who's insanely competitive. Like he obviously wants to play. And I think yeah. it makes me feel more comfortable that if the team ultimately reaches that decision, that it's going to be the right one. Tara, would how would you feel about it? How would you approach it? I would, uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Obviously, you know whatever the medical staff says, but I think it's totally fine if he misses the first couple of games, because you know we've got a whole series here, and so if they think that they you know see what we've got for the first two games without Nurkic, and then oh here comes Nurkic, that's something that they're gonna. That's a big adjustment that they'll have to make. That's not just a tweak to their uh, scheme. That's a huge adjustment that they will have to make halfway through. So I think that would be exciting. I think it's going to be like when Kevin Duckworth came back after versus broken hand and just like, you know, set the team on fire. So I think, I think that the best thing to do, even if there's any question at all is give him a couple more games to rest. Cause that would be like a whole other week if he waited until he came back here and you know, it's it's the Golden State Warriors. So, oh, dang it. I just said their name. Oh, $5. boy. We got you. <laughs> Five bucks. It's the Gilded Staple Whackers. <laughs> and so they're 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 going to have a whole bunch of things to to um to throw at us. So we might as well wait and, you know, throw something back at them. That's kind of how I feel about it. I'm I'm really fascinated by because I think our team is very very different than we were 
the last time we played the um, team from the Bay Area. Eric, you mentioned that it's been a while. We haven't played them since the end of January. So we played them, or have we played, did we play that? We may have played them in February, but we haven't no, played them. I don't think so. I think, I think that January. I think January is the last time. Yeah, I think January 29th was that, was that last uh, matchup. That last game, and I think that was the closest one that was, uh, maybe it was like a five-point game, whereas we had like the 45-point game. I mean, our our team has changed a lot. I mean, there are personnel. Um, well, I guess, you know, we don't have Ed Davis. We, we have some injured players. But I, I think just in some of the things that we were not able to do at the beginning of the year that we're able to do now, I think there's some significant gains that we have made. And I'm curious to find out what you think about that. So one of the things that I've been able to see um, is that I think the Blazers have gotten a lot more comfortable on switching on defense than they were last year. I think a lot of it is because Noah Vonley has really gotten comfortable and he's communicating really well. And, I, you know, you don't see them, you know, doing like the Keystone Cops thing where they're running into each other, where they're both going in opposite directions because they didn't talk about it. You see it much more smooth, much more, you know, in the in the rhythm of the game. But what I'm wondering is, against a team like the Golden State Warrior, oh my gosh, it's like I'm not even paying <laughs> oh, attention man. to what I'm saying. Ten dollars <sighs> playoff, mi- playoff mindset. Like the team from the Bay Area is switching an effective strategy against them, or did they just move too quickly? And what what's the best strategy against the way they play? I I think they have to switch because you can't the. the there are three guys that you just can't leave open at all. And, and, and so, and so whenever Curry clay and, 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 and Durant are all on the court, I think they have to switch it. But I, I, I like the point that uh, you brought up Tara about Noah Vonley and that he is much more comfortable. He's communicating better. And it's almost as if they added another player. Like it's almost as if after Nurkic came, like Vonley is not the same Vonley that was playing back then, and I I think that adds a, a wrinkle to to this, and um, I think they should switch. Uh, I, I think it, it's going to be interesting to see. To me, one of the the big subplots of this series is when does Steve Kerr decide to go to the the death lineup, and then is mm-hmm. you know the the Draymond at center group because. I think in years past, Portland didn't really have an actual. Portland didn't have an answer to that, and I it's it's nobody really does. But if you can play Vonley at center, it's a lot better than what they had even last year. You know, I I think athletically and just from what he does from a finishing standpoint, he has that nice little hook shot. He he can do stuff in the post with the ball, and he's a good dunker when he gets the ball. I I think that that is almost better than, and he's even confident shooting the mid ranger now. And, mm-hmm. and and to me, the, the way that he's playing is almost, you know, I don't want to disparage what Mason Plumlee did last postseason because he was very good for the Blazers. But I think against this Warriors team, I really like what uh, Vonley can do just from an athleticism standpoint and talent standpoint because he has confidence in that talent now. I think the one person that I'm most worried about is Draymond Green, for real. Like, he legit scares me because— More than Durant? 
Well, I think it's just, it's so hard to really tell how this series is going to be affected by Durant, right? Like we, he's been out for a while. I just, I don't know. Like I'm more, I'm more scared of how athletic and versatile and tough Draymond is. And the thing is like the idea of having Nurkic, great. Nurkic has a size advantage and Nurkic could, if he's going to come back, if they're going to clear him to play, he could actually put up a decent fight. But even with that size advantage, I mean, talent, skill, strength, speed, versatility, like Draymond's got him in every other category. So I think he is what I'm most worried about. You can talk about Steph, you can talk about Clay, but obviously we have a backcourt that can contend with them. So that that's like the one the one thing where I'm like, what the heck are we going to do? That's a good question because I don't think anybody – really has an answer like that that, and that's I mean that's why Golden State has been this team you know that they've been for so long is that he's that x factor that uh really I think more than any of those three guys because as you said you know Durant he it's kind of hard to gauge his impact sometimes because he can one of the he can really blend in to the point where you don't notice him and Durant or Draymond, I really think is is the guy that is, is a lot more aggro than any of those guys. Where he's just like, I he's a bully. Like he wants to go beat you up and 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 take your lunch money and 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 then kick you when you're on the ground. Like he, <laughs> all that stuff. I mean, Draymond is you know, and I think the good thing is is that uh, you know Portland has. I think you know Dame is 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 kind of like that, and but not. You know, without without Nurkic, they don't have a guy that is at that size that can, it has that type of toughness. That I do think I I really wish Nurkic was healthy because it would be awesome to see. Because I, I think Nurkic is also kind of a scary kind of crazy Bosnian beast. Bosnian beast. <laughs> who who who? And, and and I think you know, just seeing those two guys, just the sheer force of will between those two guys would be so awesome. And I, yeah. And without, without that, I mean, Draymond, oh boy. I mean, he, he was so scary last year. What he did to Mason Plumlee, like is illegal in 14 States. (laughs) He's just, he's going to be so, so hard to, to match up against. Do you two, either you two have a specific matchup that you're worried about or would you, Oh, I'm worried about green. (laughs) <laughs> or would you agree that it's it's probably green that we green or Durant between those two that we just are kind of like holy crap yeah and then you, I Clay Thompson averaged like forty points a game in the first like two or you know in the first couple of games of that series I think he had like a he had like a, I think he had one game where he had forty and then he had another game where he had thirty seven or something like that and uh I think it, it it hurt. It's gonna the fact that they have Durant there now makes it really hard because now you can't just be like, okay, well we'll put Dame on Harrison Barnes, and make Harrison yeah. Barnes post up and 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 we'll do that. Uh, now you have to make the decision. Okay, well is Dame gonna put be on Steph or is Dame gonna be on Kevin Durant, and or you know because you have Vonleh out there and you have Harkless probably. And they're probably gonna, you know, who who guards Steph? Who guards Clay? Because Clay, one of the tr- problems is that CJ chased Clay around really well and like did a good job, but Clay's about four inches taller than him. So it, it you yeah. know, like that is another factor that's gonna be really hard. For, it, Clay, just, he historically goes nuts against us. Clay, it's like, hometown boy. 
it's like mm-hmm. his thing. Yeah. So Tara, well, I think you had one other question, right? One other thing that you said you had noticed that you wanted to bring up. Yeah, yeah. And actually, to, to kind of finish up with what, what we were just talking about, um, it's kind of related. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about defense because, you know, we hopefully if everyone is hitting like they like they can, the offense will take care of itself, even though they're playing against the team from the Bay Area's really good defense. Um, but I think and I think we're going to play a lot of defense by committee. And I'm curious to know what you think about um, Turner, because the, the game that we had um, that they played against the team from the Bay Area where, where the score was closest was one of Turner's best games of the season. And I think between Turner, Harkless, Aminu and Vonley, I think they do have some really good uh, defensive bones in them. I don't think that they're fully developed, but I think that they've developed a lot over the course of the year. So I'm looking forward specifically at those four, Bonley, Aminu, Harkless, and Turner to see who they, how they do on defense. But that leads me to what I was what I was thinking about, which is that Portland has not been good this year at defending the three. At the beginning of the season, we were like at one point dead last in terms of being able to defend the perimeter. And we, you know, our our opponents had the best shooting percentage against us. We've improved a lot since the all-star break. So to what do you think the Blazers owe this improvement in perimeter defense and specifically three point de- defending the three point? And can they keep it up in this series? That question is, I think, one of like the biggest debates happening right now. Like, what do you owe three point opposing teams three point percentage to? And mm-hmm. I think effort and urgency definitely is there for that is definitely a reason because they were at the all star break. They had a trade. And I think, you know, even just not just the trade itself. But the realization that your team was in the position that they had to trade one of your starters because you you, you looked your future looked so grim has to be a wake up call. So I think effort and urgency on some level is can be attributed. And I think also Nurkic I think Nurkic being out there and being able to protect the rim, I think gave a lot of the perimeter guys more confidence that they could go chase those guys out at the three-point line. They could really sell out down there because they know that they're protected. And so I think some of it was effort, and I think some of it was also just after a couple of games of seeing what Nurkic could do at the basket, just, hey, this guy's got our back, and and we can just Mm -hmm. go after guys and not worry about uh, what happens behind us. And so I I think it's, it's both Nurkic and just that sense of urgency that, you know, we got to get it together or else we're not going to be a playoff team. So do you think that they actually learned from having watched Nurkic and see how, how he was doing it? Cause I do think that even though we don't have Nurkic right now, the fact that we had him for those games gave the other fellas a chance to see like, Oh, that's how we could be doing this. And do you think that, that that's a true statement? I mean, possible. Uh, yeah, because it's, you know, maybe, you know, I think I think when Vonley has been out there, he's been good. And, you know, uh, you know, Leonard has his ups and downs, but he can be fine at times. And and, 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 and I think, yeah, they need to sell out and they need to get out there. Uh, 
you know, obviously you'd like to see everyone be tight like Nurkic and be able to do all the things that he does. But I do think that, yeah, on some level, I think it gave them that comfort. And uh, two, uh, they, I think, playing smaller units, even without Nurkic out there, like when Vonley's playing at center, I really feel like they've been able to execute that type of defense more. I, I think the, I think it might have been the Houston game. Uh, I was at, and I was covering that game for the AP, and uh, they had a possession in the end of the third quarter where they got a 24 second violation, which was like, that that doesn't ever happen, and and, and they did it, and uh, you know that was kind of a turning point. And then after the game, I kind of asked, uh, I asked Aminu because he's such a good defensive player. I kind of wanted to pick his brain about it, and you know what has changed? Like, why have you guys been, you know, almost a top five defensive team since the All Star break, all that stuff, and one of the things that he attributed was, was just having Nurkic back there. And so uh, I think that that definitely helped the confidence, but I I definitely think it's golden state. They have really no choice. You know, they've got to sell out at the three point line. They don't have the option of being like, okay, we're going to let that guy shoot. There's no, you know, unless there's no guy who they can let shoot. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, and not even that they can't even, I mean, they're all catching shooters too. So like, you can't think, okay, this guy's going to get the ball and he's going to take a couple dribbles. Cause he's not, he's going to like Clay Thompson, when he had that game where he scored, what was it like 60 points in three quarters or whatever, he only held onto the ball for half a minute the whole game because he just like, boom, shoot, boom, shoot. So yeah, that's, Oh, it's scary. I think all roads just lead back to Nurkic is where pretty much every (laughs) single one of these discussions have have gone. (laughs) But, you know, it's going to be exciting. Again, it's Sunday at 1230 on ABC, I believe, right? So anyone with basic cable should be able to catch the game. I'm not going to do anything this weekend. My sister and brother-in-law with whom I'm staying right now are super outdoorsy and athletic, and I'm sure they're going to be like, we're going to go climb a mountain. And I'm going to be like, I'm going to watch 15 hours of basketball. (laughs) (laughs) I know the first few days of the playoffs are just the best because it's just like basketball all day, every day. Just mainlining basketball. Um, Joe, did you have another question? Yeah, I actually, about the bench? um, Well, I think actually, because we're running low on time, I'd really like to get to the Russell Westbrook versus James Harden topic. Are you guys okay if I like pop into that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, This is like a huge debate, right? It's like so much bigger than I think it needs to be. I think it's actually quite silly. But what is your what's your thought, Eric, on that? Russell or James? Or Kawhi or LeBron? I mean, those are like the that's like option B, right? I yeah. Mean, people aren't necessarily or Shabazz talking, Napier talking about. And trust me, I love Kawhi and I love LeBron, and I would not be upset if the discussion was about them. But the discussion is really mostly about whether or not it's Westbrook or Harden, and I'm curious to know your thoughts. For most of the season, I was uh, on the Harden bandwagon, but I think, and I, th- I don't think my story is that uh, is that uncommon. I just these last couple of weeks of Westbrook have just really swayed me and it the stats are amazing and that obviously comes to mind but for me sports are wonderful and I love sports and I love quantifying it I love uh, analyzing it and all that stuff but one of the great things that makes sports sports is the is people 
and how people can be moved by things. And like the whole thing where like in Memphis, the whole crowd is chanting triple double for Westbrook. And then in Denver, they're going crazy when he gets the triple double and, and, and all that stuff. And just the kind of emotions that Westbrook is bringing out in people to me is bigger than any of the numbers. And that is kind of why I I'm I'm on the Westbrook train now. So I think Westbrook is the MVP. I selfishly wanted to talk about this because obviously I would like to give my opinion. Of course. <laughs> um, I again, maybe I just get irritated easily. I don't know when it comes to sports, but I get so irritated about this conversation. And I like I like Harden a lot. I've actually never been on the um, the wagon of hating Harden, although that's been a thing for a long time. But to me, the idea behind this is it's the MVP, right? It's the most valuable player. So you're looking at a player like Westbrook, who is averaging a triple double. He's averaging something like, what is it? It's I have it here. It's 31.6 points per game. The next closest player on his team. Do you guys have any idea how much he's averaging? It's Oladipo, by the way. It's like 15.9. It's half. It's literally half. That's the next closest player on his team. You're talking about almost 11 rebounds a game. You're talking about more than 10 assists per game. The next closest players in those categories are Steven Adams with 7.7 assists. And the next for rebounding is Oladipo with (laughs) 2.6. So, when you're looking at a disparity that huge, like a, a team that is reliant so heavily on one player, a player that has such a dominant impact on their team, how do you look at that and not think, well, yeah, compared to every other team and every other player, this player is the most valuable player to his team. And that's kind of how I look at nobody. You can't name anyone else in this league that has that. You can't say Harden. Um, he has a lot of other contributors like, um, Williams, Gordon, Clint Capella is like becoming a thing, things like that. Ryan Anderson's really good. Yeah, Ryan Anderson. You can't say that about Kawhi. He has my boy LaMarcus. You can't say <laughs> that about, you can't even say that about LeBron. He has Irving and Love. Like, you cannot say that about any other player in this league. And so, therefore, I don't see how this is a discussion. This is Russell's award to win it's russell's award to baskin it is russell's season altogether and no one's going to ever look back on this season and not think that and if they do then i i don't think they truly understand the fundamentals of the game of basketball <laughs> well bam <laughs> where's the drop i just i just did it but i don't <laughs> <a little> sound cue <laughs> but i did drop the mic you did you did anyway tara do you have an opinion you know, I'm actually really bored by the discussion just because I think it's it's a it's an unanswerable question because there's two players who are just having seasons where they're just transcending, you know, uh, what we thought anybody could do. And I, I think that um, I agree with you that if you take Russ out of OKC, then OKC is, is nothing like what they are. But I also think that if you remove Harden, they might be better 
better than OKC, but I still think he's like super important to his team. What I love goes back to the story. You know, I've been on Russell Westbrook the whole time just because I wanted to see how he would react to Kevin Durant leaving and him putting the team on his back and for him sustaining it. That's the most amazing thing. He must have so much adrenaline in his body to have sustained him this entire season. And I love, love, love that Houston and Oklahoma City are facing each other in the first round because by then the, you know, the race is over and we can just watch them play. So I'm really excited to watch that too. I think something you said, it brings it out again. It's not the super important to his team award. It's the most valuable player award. Like I just, I just don't think that there's a race here. Um, I don't know. It's just, that's just the way it is. Russell all the way, man. Russell. Well, anybody have any odds and ends they want to add about the playoffs? One quick question. I was going to skip it, but now I want to grab it. Um, Do you think that there will be any significant change in the lineup, Eric, considering how well some of our end of the bench players happen to do in these last few games, you know, like Shabazz and his scoring explosion or Connaughton had some pretty amazing assists as, as well as some nice shots. Um, So do you think that maybe Terry's going to be like, Hey, Maybe I can trust them in a scenario or Noah being so aware enough to grab that ball that bounced off of Meyer's knees and <laughs> dunk it before the game ended. You know, examples like that. I, I, I think that the uh, the Shabazzes and the Laymans and the Connaughtons of the world will uh, just have a great seat for, for this series. I think that I but I, I you know, I think. Von Ley and Leonard, you know, those guys are going to play. Like, those are the only two big guys they have right now. So, like, those guys are going to play. They're going to get minutes. They're going to get opportunities if Nurkic isn't there. Uh, and, yeah, I, I really think that that is, is where they're going to be. Uh, I think they're going to keep – I think Stotts is going to keep a tight rotation uh, because – uh, you know, I think one of his tendencies is, you know, especially in big situations. I mean, we saw it even last year. You know, he goes to Chris Kamen in that Clippers series. You know, like he trusts veterans. So I think he's going to lean into guys that are veterans. You know, maybe in that context, maybe Shabazz gets a call. But I, I, I don't – if anyone were to get a call out of those guys, it would be Shabazz. But uh, I, I don't – I'm not seeing Shabazz because I think – Portland is going to have enough problems with size already, and and and, and Shabazz uh, doesn't help that, and, and so I, I think I think we're going to see most of the guys that were playing before they had the guys rest. So I think we're going to see a tight rotation. Damon CJ going 41, 42 minutes a game. Uh, you know, it's going to be lots of minutes for those guys, lots of minutes for you know Aminu or Harkless. I think those guys could rotate. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be uh, the guys that we saw uh, without Nurkic. So, yeah, I think it, I'm I'm excited for it. I'm I'm ready for Sunday. I think we all are. We're super super stoked on it. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for all of your contributions. This has been so fun hearing your side of things. And one last thing before we go, Tara is planning a pretty fun Blazers what event for next week for a playoffs edition. It's that's again the Blazers women's hops and talks group that we've put together and she will be spearheading that all under her lonesome because I will be somewhere in the middle of the Yukon territory driving (laughs) back to Alaska at that time. So this is all you Tara, you want to tell us about it? 
Sure. Women's Hops and Talks Playoff Edition is also going to be a a friends and family affair. We are going to be meeting on April 19th, uh, Wednesday evening at 730 at the McMinimans on Broadway to watch the Blazers take on the team from the Bay Area. This will be their second game down there. And we um, there's a... uh, we watch the game on the big screen. We cheer, we yell. It's super positive. It's super fun. And we wanted to make it a friends and family event because when we first started, Joe and I, the women's hops and talks, we were a little worried that uh, some of the you know men might be like, why aren't they letting us come? And we really just wanted to provide like, you know, a fun space for women. But we've had such overwhelming kindness and support from men who are um, supporting our addiction to basketball. <laughs> we wanted to make this playoff edition, uh, encourage everybody to bring their friends and family, encourage those, uh, you know, men who uh, put up with all of our baseball, our basketball talk <laughs> all the time. Plus it's a big event and the Blazers are going to need every single bit of cheering that we can do. So again, Plus, April. you have a really, really rad prize to give away is that or is that not correct that is true we just learned that we have a signed basketball from damien it's, it's going to be signed by damien lord that we are going to give away as a prize uh on for our event so it's a hell of a uh, prize I know. It's very exciting. You don't even have to pay for it. (laughs) We put it together at the last minute because we didn't know if we were going to make it into the playoffs. And so we were like holding off scheduling our event and it came up really fast. But uh, uh, a woman uh, who who runs the uh, Crab People Twitter account, she helps me put these together and she had connections. And so we are going to be giving away a signed basketball for a door prize. So, yeah, uh, April 19th, 730 McMinimans on Broadway. Eric, tell your family, come along, and we'll cheer like crazy for the Trailblazers. All right. You guys want to hear something terrible? One time I got a basketball signed by the entire 2014-2015 team for a fundraiser I was doing, and I was so bound and determined not to let anyone else win it that I just kept outbidding everyone all night on the silent option sheet, and I won it. <laughs> <laughs> and they made I mean, a lot of money. And you yeah, made a lot yeah, of money. It was you. money to charity. I paid a lot for that ball because people like knew how bad I wanted it. This one guy in particular, he doesn't even like basketball, but he knew how bad I wanted it, so he kept like outbidding me, and I was like... He- anyway well that'll be so fun i'm so bummed that i'm gonna miss it um but eric you go and have fun and i know you said your girlfriend doesn't like basketball but i'm sure she'd have fun at this event and hanging out and take your entire crazy fun loving sports loving venezuelan family and it'll be a huge hit i'm sure hey uh yeah maybe maybe we'll come through eric why don't you tell folks where they can find your work um yeah you can find my work sometimes at the associated press sometimes on blazers edge and you can find me all the time on the locked on blazers podcast on itunes audio boom stitcher wherever you can get a podcast we are there so subscribe to us we will have podcasts uh we do it multiple times a week at least four but we will be doing them you know after every game and have news and all that stuff and guests uh and we have a pretty robust playoff preview so uh go check that out as well 
Yeah, I will second that. Your your playoff previews were great, especially the one that you did with Danny LaRue. And I'll just give a plug for uh, Lockdown Blazers because I really enjoy listening to that all the time. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know if you guys listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to possibly too many podcasts. I actually just had a nightmare the other night. I was, I, I dreamed that I was in like an Ocean's Eleven type like heist situation and we were like hiding from the bad guys. And for some reason I was there with um, uh, Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst and they wouldn't stop talking about the Pacers. And like, we were in this terrifying situation and all they wanted to do was talk about the Pacers. And I was like, you guys stop! And then I woke Why? up and I realized I'd fallen asleep listening to them. <laughs> so That's I may need amazing. to step back. That's amazing. Oh, man. I mean, so if I do in cut fairness, back on podcast, I will not cut back on Locked On Blazers. In fairness, the Pacers are nightmare inducing. Yeah, what? Like, don't that's talk about it, Paul George like that. Paul George is fine. I just I am not I'm not big. I, I I'm just I'm resentful that they kept Miami out of the playoffs because I want I really yeah. wanted Miami to be in the playoffs. But, that was a bummer. I felt, and I, I am I excited that. that they did what they did. I'm excited to see how this goes. So yeah, I, just we'll. We'll spar on this one. All right. <laughs> well, on our way out the door, I just want to let everybody know that, of course, you can find the Blazers Edge podcast, Blazers Edge podcast, on Stitcher or iTunes, or you can hop right on over to BlazersEdge.com and find all kinds of great Blazers coverage. We've got you covered for the playoffs, and even after the playoffs are over, there's going to be all kinds of stuff this summer. So, Eric, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Joe, we will catch you after you have landed in Alaska and are ready to come back on the podcast. Thanks, everybody.